Hey, it's Ryan. Welcome to the Art of Paying Attention, where paying attention is our endless and proper work. Well, hey, everybody. So glad to be with you once again. It has been a minute. I have some projects I've been working on behind the scenes and uh, have not had the chance to get these interviews out into the world. And I apologize because I know you've enjoyed the show and I know we have a hungry fan base that loves digging in and listening to these interesting people that come on the show. And so I apologize. And today, um, we're not going to disappoint. We've been gone for a few weeks, but we're not going to disappoint because Stephanie Crow is on the show and she's the CEO of learn.net. And her mission is all about helping leaders become lifelong learners, uh, helping leaders grow and change and go deeper. And I loved our conversation because this is really the heartbeat of this show is about being lifelong learners, being curious, paying attention, seeing things that maybe we don't see, taking the things we take for granted. And one of the things that she has noticed through her leadership and through her leading of of companies and, and leaders is we have to be learners. We have to learn how to not just settle and uh, be okay. And I think that's that's one of the, the great challenges. I, I don't know the, the exact stat, but I heard that once people leave college or once people leave kind of college age, uh, they stop reading books. They, they stop learning. It's it's kind of like this, this myth that once you get through school or get through some trade or learn some skill, it's like, we don't need to learn anymore. We're good, right? Uh, but man, we live in such a day where there's no excuse with YouTube and with digital media and social media and books that we can get at our fingertips anytime, any place, courses, you name it. Uh, there is just an endless opportunity to grow and, and to have mentors and have coaches and have people that can kind of walk alongside us to not stay where we are, but, but continue to, to grow. And so anyway, I am looking forward to sharing my conversation with Stephanie Crow. We'll get to that in just a second. Just a couple things to update you on. I've been working behind the scenes, working in the creative minds, trying to build out a few things. And one of those things that I have been working on is a opportunity to get some, what I'm calling book coaching. And so if you've been listening to the show for years, when I launched the show back in 2017, uh, we have interviewed some of the most prolific writers on the planet. I have given my insights, wisdom, the little that I know into writing and publishing and, uh, and was thinking about what would it look like to have a mentor, uh, someone that could walk us alongside you and help you get your book out into the world. Or maybe you're working on an idea that's not fully fleshed out and maybe you just want to kind of figure out what are the next steps. And um, I've had the opportunity to, to publish uh, almost 20 books at this point, fiction and nonfiction. And one of the things that I was lacking was someone to just kind of walk alongside me, to help me think through ideas, help me think through structure, help me think through even a plan for writing. How do I even get the words on the page? Uh, what do I do with editing? How, how do I even edit the work? Um, what, what do I do uh, to, to come up with good ideas and, and deep characters? And, um, and if you're writing nonfiction, you know, what's the big idea that there, your book isn't just you know, five books in one, but it's, it's one big idea and, and how can it be compelling? And, and, uh, and then what do I do once the book's done? How do I get it out in the world? How do I publish it? How do I get it in front of people that might want to publish it for me? All those good things. And so I am launching a book, book coaching service. 
And you can check that out on my website. I'll have it all in the show notes. And uh, it'll be a 45 minute to an hour long consultation. And you'll see all the information in there if you're interested in that to just talk about ideas, talk about your book, talk about your work, and, and to really be your cheerleader and to help you in any way that I that I can. And I've had a lot of experience in this and uh, think it would be very valuable uh, to you if you are willing and able, if you desire that. And, uh, and I think we all need a coach, uh, whatever thing we're, we're doing. Um, and also if you just want to talk about other things, if you got other ideas, you're thinking about, you're starting a business, you're starting anything. Um, I've had some experience in that too. You just want to talk about life. Maybe you're going through some challenges too. Um, that's what coaching's for. So, um, so check that all out, uh, in the show notes, uh, you can go to my website and go to the coaching tab and it's all in there. So hopefully that will serve you well. And I'm really excited about that. So you'll be hearing more about that. Well, my friends, it is time to get to my interview my conversation, my chat with Stephanie Crow. Well, Stephanie, it's great to have you on the show. And there is a question I always ask my guests is what are you paying attention to today? I thought you might ask that. Uh, Honestly, the thing I will always pay attention to is a worthy goal, and particularly a leader with a worthy goal. So I'm paying attention to leaders on mission, how they inspire their people, what it takes to perform and get extraordinary results. I love it. I love it. Well, you seem like the perfect person to talk about those things. Uh, You are the CEO of learn.net. And uh, if you could say it simply or in a couple sentences, what would you say is your mission with learn.net? Our mission is to build better habits. Our mission is to make the world a better place one habit at a time. There you go. I love it. Uh, So really fascinated by the work you're doing with learn.net and you have a book out, The 10X Leader, um, How Great Leaders Multiply Outcomes Thriving Transformational Learn through, excuse me, through transformational learning. And uh, it seems like the, the what you're and how I understand it is you're trying to kind of get underneath the leader, if that makes any sense, kind of get to the guts of the person, right? You're talking about goals and motivation and habits. Um, how did you come to these conclusions? I mean, obviously you've been doing this leadership for a long time, but yeah, where, where did this all kind of stem from realizing maybe there's something more here? Sure. Absolutely. I spent most of my career as a head of learning, head of learning development, both internally as well as customer education. So customer facing and a great deal of that is focused on people. What I discovered was that there's a lot of good learning, a lot of nice learning, But in fact, there's a very specific few learning interventions that make extraordinary results happen. So I started looking at the different experiences and stories that I had had the opportunity to participate in where something really extraordinary happened, you know, 10x or more impact based on revenues or profits or uh, membership impact or career impact or even productivity or employee engagement. And what I found was there were a few specific things that identified those transformations. Uh, But probably the most important one was the leader's belief that people make a difference in business. So it was really the, the human element was kind of the, the thing that was, uh, 
maybe missing or not considered or because I mean, isn't that the case, right? It's it's always to look at kind of the superficial things. Well, the numbers are good. And it seems like, you know, people are showing up to work and people seem happy and, and all that. But realizing underneath right. that is, is some there's something deeper, deeper going on. Would that be fair to say? Absolutely. Are you running an operation, managing a process, or are you actually leading people? I honestly believe that people drive business and people drive organizations, uh, despite the fact that there's lots of technology and processes and opportunity for leverage. The, the thing that really drives impact is the people. And the leaders who understand that and understand that in order to make something extraordinary happen, you need to make something special happen in the people and build their capacity in the direction of the mission. I was thinking about uh, this conversation a uh, few, actually a few days ago and had this thought and I, I've read some different studies. You probably read the same studies, but it is interesting that when people finish college or they f- finish any kind of training or formal education is they stop reading books. Uh, it's pretty, <laughs> co- pretty yeah. much common knowledge. Um, once you have that degree or whatever training you received, it's kind of like, well, I'm good, you know, for whatever job or whatever, you know, discipline I'm in. Um, what I found is really the learning begins when you begin your job or you begin your career. It's actually on the ground, right? It's not the things you learn in the Absolutely. classroom. It's the interaction with the people. It's the hardships. It's the, you know, all those things. Um, <laughs> it, have you found that to be true? I mean, is that kind of where you, you're kind of headed? It's this like ongoing learning. It's not just, Hey, we've arrived. We have a degree on the wall. You know, we're here. We have mm. the title. I mean, how, what does that look like to kind of facilitate that kind of what I would call ongoing learning? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, in the trade, we call it continuous learning. And I am absolutely what one would call a lifelong learner. Uh, In terms of people who really want to create something extraordinary in their lives, want to make an impact on the people around them, want to um, make changes or, or bring their talents to bear, they can't possibly think that they would stop learning because of an age. I also think that the word learning is something that we should explore because we've all sat in a classroom, but much of that classroom time, depending on your generation, would have been spent memorizing or capturing knowledge, not necessarily applying skills. So what you were describing, Ryan, was the experiences Right. How do we take the experiences we have in our life and apply them to grow our capacity and be something more than we were before we had those experiences? Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. So I, I think just to get in the nitty gritty of that, I love this conversation because I think, yeah, you're you're talking kind of the the typical Western you know lecture model. Here's the information, dump it into your brains, now go use the information. Yes. But you know, they've done studies even on that, right? It's, you know, 95% of it you forget, you know, and absolutely, uh, unless you put it into practice or you write it down or you act it out or you, you know, there's a lot of different, different things. Um, but in your work and in your study and your observa- observations, the things you're paying attention to, um, what have you found to be helpful for, you know, give us a kind of story or, a, you know, an actual person or, or in your uh, corporation or, or work? Um, what, what does that look like? Like, what is that the actual healthy, long-term learning you're talking about where you can get bigger impact. You can actually help help a person grow. What, what are like the, the principles behind that? Sure. 
and I, I see it both at an organizational level as well as an individual level. So if I may, I'll, I'll, I'll be bopping back and forth between those two. For an individual, any given role, any project, any job, I honestly believe the most important thing is to consider, what can I learn? What, what can I learn by doing this? And, and how might I develop myself or the people around me? Um, the Almost the corollary to that is as a leader, what can I share? What can I teach? Certainly leaders also need to learn themselves. Uh, but looking around them and saying, what can, how can I bring others up? What have I learned that I can impart and share with others? At an organizational level, it really becomes how can we create a learning culture in the organization so that it's not just about checking the box or saying how many hours have we completed in learning and make sure, yep, we completed enough hours of learning this year. Instead saying, how can we move the organization forward, whether that's improving our culture, whether that's delivering better service to the customer um, for nonprofits, you know, more effectively serving the member or the, the societal um, objectives that we serve? How can we do that? What do we need to learn in order to get there? Hmm. Well, I like that. I, you know, my wife, actually, she's a, a registered nurse at a, at a hospital and you know, they do these, you know, continuing education and, you know, you have to get certified. She's an oncology nurse. So there's a lot of certifications and things. And it's oh, funny, sure. the, the things she talks about though, are where they have their biggest challenges actually isn't around getting the latest certification or understanding how the medicine works or whatever. It's actually interpersonal <laughs> that, yes. that the training that they probably need more of is actually, how do we interact with each other? How do we uh, manage one another? How do we, you know, we have conflict, how do we deal with it? Right. Cause I, at the end of the day, that's kind of what where the challenges are. That's where the the tears are. That's where the, the frustrations are. It's not just, yes. do we have yeah. the right information? And are we, you know, as, as important as that is, obviously. Um, well, it's a shortcut. It's, you know, being able to teach knowledge or things that are easily conveyed, like lists or processes, because it's easy to deliver that training, that's what we deliver. But the more complex functions that we have in our brain and as human beings are things like synthesis and evaluation and decision-making and discernment and judgment. And those things are or emotional um, emotional intelligence, being able to uh, behaviorally interact with someone. I can't imagine the level of both empathy and behavioral skills required to be an oncology nurse. Mm -hmm. I, you know, the level of um, advanced mastery in dealing with trauma, uh, dealing with, you know, emotions, being able to uh, make sure people can focus on the most critical things that they need to do at the time when they need to do it, when they're already in a difficult situation. These are extremely complex things. So you talked about um, creating a learning culture. And mm -hmm. what would you say is, is the ways in which you go about creating that, that culture. In other words, may I could ask it this way too, is how do you get people excited about growth learning? Um, cause I imagine there's probably a lot of resistance here. There's probably not, not everybody's coming in going, Oh, this is great. This is amazing. You know, I want to grow. I want right. to learn. I want to, you know, it's more like just, <laughs> I just want to get my paycheck and go home. Um, but, but yeah, how do you kind of create that, that energy around learning and saying, Hey, this is a thing we we're going to be doing the rest of our lives, but, but it's, it's for our good and the company's sure. good. 
Absolutely. I mean, people are motivated by different things. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of times people are motivated by challenge and common challenge that are achievable. Um, but a lot of organizations have some cultural elements, almost it's the opposite of what you asked, which is things that need to be removed in order for a learning culture to thrive. So for example, uh, fear of error or making mistakes is one of those things that, or, or being punished for um, doing things incorrectly, doesn't create an opportunity for learning to happen. Um, so we need safe spaces to learn. Um, there's a, there's an old joke in the training industry, which is, you know, you really want to train where the potential impacts or errors are low. Uh, and in fact, the modern thinking is we want the risk to be very high in the training environment so that it emulates as much as possible the real life environment you're going to be in. Because if training is safe, imagine what the real world is going to do to you. You're not prepared at all. So now we do things like simulations and challenges and tricks and and trying to, um, I call it lay the gauntlet to say what kind of challenge is going to make you uh, really come to um, bring your best and, and learn. Because we don't really learn from doing things well so often. It's much more likely, I don't know about you, you can think of a time when you made an error, you really remember that one. So we we learn a lot from making mistakes and we want those to happen in that quote unquote safe uh, training environment first. Oh, I like that because I, I remember years ago, I, w- I worked for the Gallup poll, which, you know, you call people cold call and no one does that anymore. But, um, you know, <laughs> to do these surveys. And I remember it was like, it was a college job and they would do this training and no one prepared you for the guy who's going to literally, you know, curse you out for 20 minutes straight. And how dare you call me during dinner? And, you know, and so you actually experience that it's pretty overwhelming, you know, because they're saying, oh, well, here's what you say. And here's how you kind of disarm and, you know, but when it's actually happening, I mean, you're sweating, you're crying, you're here. I'm so sorry. You know, you don't know what to do. Yes. Yes. You're having your own emotional reaction. Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. So I like that. So keeping the, making the environment, I should say, as realistic as possible, but also making a lot of room for errors, failures, mistakes. I mean, that's part of, that's part of like training for sports, right? I mean, you, you practice so that when you get on the field, you don't make the errors, but you're allowed to fail during practice. That's the point, right? You missed the shot. You, missed Absolutely. The kid, you, you know, um, so, uh, talking about, uh, still talking about learning a little bit. Um, you use the word transformational learning. Um, so not yeah. just learning, but transformational learning. How would you define what transformational learning is? So I'll use a rather nature-oriented metaphor, if you don't mind. Transformational learning and transformation is when how you were before, after you go through that learning, and after it's already embedded and habituated and something about who you are now, you actually don't remember what it was like before. And the metaphor is the butterfly doesn't remember what it was like to be a caterpillar. That transformation that they go through is at almost the, the DNA level, right? That there's change and change and change, and those things become embedded into who you are. And so who you are after the learning is something different than what you were before. I think it's beautiful. 
kind of going back to my Gallup poll analogy, it's once you've experienced the yelling and the cursing and the, you know, don't call me during dinner after you do that a few times and you, you have the skills you, you don't even think about it anymore. You handle it calmly. You're not sweating. You're not, right, you know, right. you're, just, you're just responding. You're a new person. Yeah. You're a new person. You're just responding. It's not just that person either. You're probably a better um, spouse, a better parent, you know, because you have some degree of calm in the storm. You've learned something other than being able to keep somebody on the phone for a survey. Yeah. You've learned your own ability to stay calm in a crisis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is this is helpful because, you know, there's has been a lot more talk about, you know, we really do learn from failure. We really do learn from mm. things that didn't go well. I mean, I don't, I know I've probably learned a few things from things going well, but it's actually when that didn't go well that you're actually re- reflective and you're saying, okay, how can we do this better the next time? But then when you get into that situation, it fe- yeah, it feels like you've changed because you handle it differently this time. You know, you, mm-hmm. you're more calm. Maybe you speak with more wisdom or maybe you, you know, don't rant and rave or quit the job. You actually hang in there. You know, it's like your character's being shaped and formed from actually failure and things that didn't work out. And, and and yeah, and I think it's funny in a culture, especially I have have four kids and it's like, how do you live in that tension of raising them with not just participant trophies and everybody wins, but actually it's really good to learn how to fail and learn fail early. So you don't have to fail as much later, (laughs) you know, learn, learn, learn adversity, you know, without forcing it upon someone. Um, Now coming back to your, your training, is there, I mean, are you trying to create, I don't use the word adversity, maybe that's that's too big that's of a okay. word, but but I, I mean, trying to create environments where, yeah, this isn't always going to go well or be easy. Absolutely. So I call it challenges, right? It's important to challenge people in the actual performance you expect them to have in the real life. So if there's a challenge that you can create that simulates as much as possible what type of behavior or skill or attitude that they need to be having when they get into those real life situations, that's the challenge you want to give them. So in the book, we talk about things like simulated games that create a sense of a whole system of an organization that help people give ahas because they have these failures and oopses and laughter because they made those errors. Or you might have um, challenges in instructor-led classes where uh, people are judged by each other because guess what? People judge you in real life. Um, And then they give you scores and everybody laughs because it's like American Idol and they give you ones or tens, right? Um, so, So, you know, these are real life situations that are mimicked. Um, Even in our software, we create these miniature challenges to say, I'm testing you, I'm trying you, I'm challenging you. Uh, The other thing that that does is I'll pull in a little bit of of brain science is it it actually writes it more permanently to your brain, right? So, So something that you learn about might be interesting, And particularly if it's intellectual or conceptual, it's going to stay in your prefrontal cortex, right? It's going to stay in the place in your brain where you go, hmm, that's logical and interesting. (laughs) But but that's the part that you're going to forget. So you mentioned this too, right? Creating challenges where then when you do something, when you have to write something down or you have to experience something or potentially get into something where, you know, your your blood gets up a little bit, right? You're feeling some stress or you have some anxiety to take on that challenge. It then causes you to reinforce those patterns in your brain that allows you to call them up later when you have the opportunity to perform. 
Is this the same as, uh, let me ask you this question around the same conversation is, is, is it, does this have anything to do with changing what people care about? Um, I, I find it fascinating that it seems like when people care about certain things, that's where you see change. That's when you see action. I mean, we can talk all day about things that are broken in our society or broken in our lives, but until we actually like genuinely from the kind of the guts care about the thing, um, or if people mm. are being hurt or people aren't being fed or, you know, whatever the cause or the challenge or the, that's really, nothing's really going to change. Is, is there a way to kind of create whether it's training or learning or I don't know, habits that kind of change people's kind of guts, if you will, to actually care about this thing, whatever the thing is? Sure. So I think what you're talking about is empathy and how do you build empathy in people? Um, And there are techniques in the learning field to allow people to empathize with whether it's role reversal, um, experiential simulation, and those things do create empathy. I I firmly believe that although, you know, in in 10X Leader, I talk about diagnosis and and making sure you diagnose the real learning challenge that people have and and linking it to the actual business results you're trying to achieve or or impact you're trying to achieve and then getting some good leverage out of it. Um, All of that has to be grounded in what I would call mission, vision, and purpose, right? It has to be everyone is focused on a goal and we're all rowing in the same direction. So if you don't know what that direction is or you don't believe in it, then all of the other stuff then just becomes tactics and tactics are not going to get that level of engagement. So I do believe that motivation and engagement and finding out what people's why is, like why they care, it is going to differ. People are going to, you're not going to say, hey, we're all just going to instantly make you feel or have the same values as I have. However, we can engage people and say, what about this? pulls on your heartstrings. What about this makes you engage? Some people will say, I like it because it's going to help me in my career. Some people will say, I like it because I'm going to get some recognition. Some people will say, I like it because I can better serve the customer. Some people will say, I came here because I believe in our purpose as a company. And and by the way, Mrs. or Mr. or Miss Leader, you have helped me tie the purpose of the organization to this initiative that we're doing. But once you do that, as long as you have that purpose, then all of those tactics of saying, how do I do my job better? Or how do I serve the customer better? Or how can I increase my skill or aptitude or behaviors in these things? I have now tied back to the purpose and the mission. So my answer is yes, but it's a it's a multi-level yes. Well, that's helpful. Yeah, I know that's kind of a put you in a, a tough spot. I know it's a complex. No, it's fine. Know, if it was easy, we'd just say, hey, just do this. <laughs> it's just magic. Um well, let's let's talk about you, Stephanie. So, when was kind of your moment of you realizing this isn't just for other people? This is for me, or this is um, I was seeing my own lack or my own need for learning, growth, uh, impact. Maybe I was kind of naive to all of this. When, was there like a, a time, a moment, a season, a a, a failure? Uh, you know, where you just said, "Yeah, this isn't just for other people. This is what I need." Because it feels like that's where like books come from and ideas come from. It's it's your own kind of challenge. What would that look like for you? Yeah. So there was a moment when I realized that learning could create 10x impact. There was absolutely a moment. 
But there was also something about the way I was raised that I believe that learning is transformational. So which one would you like or would you like both? Give me both. Okay. So I'll start from the beginning, which is when I was a kid, we didn't always have what we wanted, but we did have what we needed. Uh, my dad had come back from serving in East Asia. He wasn't my dad yet at that time. Met a nice lady. My mom had a couple of daughters and he had to have three jobs to get by. So he um, and my mom would get out the big salad, the popcorn bowls, pop, big popcorn bowl every month and say, let's throw all the bills in and see if we can really kill one of these this month. But it was it was a tough slog. So and of course, I didn't hear about this until much later. Um, one day he goes into his third job, which is working as a janitor in um, the local office park. And they've got a job listing posted available. And that job says, if you can type 35 words a minute, you can have a job in the data center. This is a real professional job. It's a salaried role. And back in the 70s, early 70s, you know, it was kind of hard to get talent in that space. So he he was like, I'm going to figure out, I'm going to learn how to type 35 words a minute. Now, what you don't know is that my dad was raised in the backwoods of Maine and, you know, there was a, a cabin and five family members and um, had to go out to the bump to get the water and that sort of thing. And, you know, they chopped their own wood for heat and stuff. And at one point when he and his brother were chopping wood, he lost one of his fingers. Mm -hmm. So he's literally missing almost a whole finger, half finger on his right hand. Now go back to the, how do you type 35 words a minute? But he figured it out. He learned, he learned and he figured out with his two middle fingers, which he still types with to this day, <laughs> how to type 35 words a minute, right? He was bound and determined and it was a learning experience. He had to figure it out. So fast forward, you know, he got the job at the data center then, and by the way, that data center was IBM got another job and another job, learned his way forward, became a network telecommunication analyst, and then a project manager and a program manager. And that one learning experience changed the trajectory of our family forever, right? Both daughters went to college. Both of us have master's degrees. Whereas, you know, we were the first ones in the whole line to get college degrees at all. So, this is embedded in who we are as a family and who I am, that learning changes the game. Hmm. Now, when, you know, I went into the professional life and that sort of thing, I didn't really want to go into training. People don't say that people don't really go in and say, Hey, I want to be the head of training. Hmm. Uh, but when I saw that this was possible, I decided to apply. I got my MBA and I decided I'm going to apply business to the learning environment. And, you know, when you're MBA, you, you do the, you do the business stuff, you do the numbers. So of all things, I decided to run a statistical analysis on this really great learning program, this global training program for a tech company. And I thought, 
I know this is the right thing to do. They've been doing it for a while. They're training their channel. They're training their customers. Um, and it's really impacting sales, but we don't buy, know by how much. And I knew that in order to grow my budget and what we were doing, I would need to show some justification for it. So I, I ran the statistical analysis and I was shocked. The reason why I was shocked, Ryan, is because it was 10x and there's just no, there's no other thing you do in business that gets 10 times results, right? I mean, call your stockbroker, mm -hmm. give me 10x returns, <laughs> please. Right. So, so that's that's really where I realized that being a business leader, leveraging learning makes a huge impact on whether it's profitability or revenue or or productivity and things like that. And 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 since then, I've been that's the technique I've been applying ever since. Yeah. Um, and that w when I sat down to collect the stories, that was what I was looking for. You know, I hear you tell your story about your father. It, it seems like the the talk is always about uh, not just the degree you have or the experience you have for the job that you're being hired for, but it's also being able to solve problems. That seems like that's yeah. a that's a big skill that you know. I don't know how you teach that. I don't. I mean, sometimes it sounds like just going through failure, or like your dad. It's okay. I only have. Uh, X amount of fingers. Uh, I'm not good at typing, but I'm going to figure it out. Right. It's it's that ability to to figure just figure it out, find solutions, right? Try things and fail, and and um and, and I think it's it's uh, kind of what you're saying earlier about you know just giving space for people to fail, people to try things and 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 screw things up. Um, I love what you know Google. I don't know if they still do it, but they you know used to have where people could just work on any project they wanted to on their off time. You know, I think apparently the the oh yes yeah the mythical story is yes. that's where Gmail came from, and it was just you could you're allowed to, but they gave permission to go fail, go figure some stuff out, go invent things, go. Oh, try make, it. Make new software, right? But where do you have space you know, to do that, right? Don't don't cut it short though, Ryan, because problem solving is a skill. Mm -hmm. It's just a higher level skill. And we have this, no offense, but bad habit of thinking if it isn't just a simple knowledge or you know, simple mm -hmm. skill-based thing, it doesn't count as learning. But again, you know, how do lawyers figure out how to lay out a case? Um, they do a lot of complex learning. They they um, investigate, they ask questions, they learn advanced questioning techniques. Um, how do uh, advanced technology companies figure out how to innovate? Innovation is a behavior and a process with a set of skills that go along with it. So becoming more innovative as an organization means you need to do several different things and build several different skills and behaviors and such and processes, right? Maybe implement agile and things like that in order to be more innovative. So these are things that, um, although it's not a shortcut, you can't say, mm, I need an e-learning on innovation, um, although there probably is one out there somewhere, mm -hmm. um, that, that really challenges a, a range of skills that together create the competency of innovative behaviors. So I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but as I hear you telling different stories and parts of your own story, it seems like you're grabbing onto a lot of different disciplines at the same time. Uh, because I think that's where the learning, again, not to put words in your mouth, but it seems like that's what you're, you're hinting at. It's like, I mean, you talked about brain science, you've talked about empathy, you've talked about statistical analysis, MBA, like your dad, all, I think that's where we've kind of lost is we've gotten too narrow and said, well, if we're business, we're business, if we're tech, we're tech. If we're, you know, a nonprofit, we're nonprofit. Um, but not saying, Hey, maybe all these different disciplines and, 
uh, experiences and thinking have, have kind of been pushed to the side, but maybe they need to be integrated a little bit more because like you're saying, it's really about people. And if it's people, then what's a person? And, you know, what about feelings? What about experiences? What about psychology? What about brain? What about, you know, soul, what all that stuff? Um, am I onto something? Is that, is that fair to say, or am I just saying things that aren't, you're, you're not saying, or I'm not. No, I think it's absolutely true. I'm a big believer in the intersection mm -hmm. um, of things. And, and I do think that we shortchange the word learning a lot. Uh, and partly because we all sat in a classroom when we were younger <laughs> and we think, Hey, somebody taught me something. So I know how to teach or I know how to help others learn, which is a completely different level of thing. Mm -hmm. And we are, if we're trying to change a human's behavior um, or change a human's skills or aptitudes, then it does have all of those things. Uh, I mean, ask any teacher, good teacher today that, that you need people to be uh, children to be emotionally ready for a class. You, they also need to be, um, have a certain range or um, development of skills that one comes after another after another. And you have to progressively build that. Um, and then also in order to embed it, you have to have um, practice and performance and, and habituation. In fact, the, the psychological term for learning is habituation, that you have to have moved it all the way into your brain so that you can use that new skill. My, uh, my brother-in-law used to work in an inner city school. He's a teacher, math teacher and, um, or history teacher, excuse me. And, you know, one of the things they were, they were finding was that kids, uh, it wasn't that they weren't smart, but they realized they were hungry. <laughs> so what they needed to do with th these kids in the inner city was actually feed them so they could learn at a, at a, at a higher level. So it wasn't just, you know, the kids weren't rebellious and they that was, there was a Pew yeah. research study on that. Very there was a Pew research um, study on that. And they, they checked all kinds of things and they thought, oh, it's because they're inner city kids mm -hmm. or it's because of the quality of the teachers or it's because of any random number of things. But yes, they discovered the problem was breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. Just having that extra meal or a snack or, you know, they're only eating once a day or whatever it was. Um, and just how that skyrocketed their own learning and how the classroom changed and the the whole culture of the school changed. I think it's fascinating because I think that's the cross discipline thing I'm kind of hinting at. You know, it's, it's, we're not dealing with just humans that are just, everyone's on the same level, but there's different needs at different levels, right? So then take that challenge. Most of our listeners are probably not K through 12 right now. I'm slightly joking. Mm -hmm. um, do you come in to your world every day ready to learn? Do you approach each challenge ready to learn? And do you consider when you have a setback, what can I learn from that? So modeling the learning environment, right? The, the absolutely the culture you're after. The we want to be a culture of learners, right? But we have to be learners first. We have to model that first. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, I think that, and I think that's the the being a a someone who's I don't know about you, but in your work, it's easy in whatever work we're in, it, it's easy to just read that stuff and only be immersed in, which is important, obviously, whatever field you're in, but to not read broadly or not to, to have conversations broadly or not listen to podcasts broadly, I think is a, is a detriment because I think, again, all these things, uh, have touching points. Um, I like, uh, I don't know if you know, Stephen Pressfield at all, but you know, the war of art and he, he talks mm -hmm. a lot about creativity and just how we get this 
thing called resistance. Um, but, but I've been realizing that you don't have to be an artist to have resistance every day when you go to work or you have relationships or whatever it may be, there's this sense of like, I'm a phony, I'm a fake. I don't want to do the work. You know, why is this so difficult? You know, we all need habits and we need things in our lives to kind of fight through that because we're, we're constantly fight battling that, not doing our best work, not, showing up and being hundred percent just kind of going through the motions or whatever it is. So, so you realize, yeah, if you're a writer, yep. If you're in business, if you're a teacher, if you're a, you know, whatever they all, they all touch uh different, different levels. So um no, I, I think um, I might also say, I know you, you, uh, you know, just, I might also say that in any creative field, your goal is the same as a leader. How are you trying to transform the people that you're serving or that you're communicating in some way with, what are you wanting them to learn and how do you get them from where they are to where you want them to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or I was going to, I thought you were going to say the other way was we're actually being changed as we do the work, right? We're, we're learning, uh, you know, through failure and through resistance and through all Even that. better. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And just sharing what we're, what we're challenged with or what we're learning as well. Um, so, when you sit down, uh, I'm going to talk specifically about your book, uh, 10X Leader. Uh, when you sit down to write a book and everybody's different, um, did you have a person in mind? Did you have a community in mind? Did you have a group of people in mind that said, you know, when I'm I'm writing this book and it's going to take me a long time to do it, I'm going to give a lot of time and energy and pain and suffering to it. Um, who who did you have in mind? Who were you thinking about? Who were you saying, you know, this is this is the audience. This is who needs to hear this. Sure. I think at first I was thinking about the missions. And then I realized it was the people who have a mission. And once I thought about them and their potential frustration, not achieving the outcomes that they could achieve, that's that's really who I was writing it for, is to share these stories of where we have been able to collectively be successful and support a leader in transforming a mission and making a huge impact. So, I mean, is it fair to say people that are stuck? Is that, I don't know. I know that's language that people throw around a lot, but, you know, kind of stuck in the middle, not sure where to go next or, you know, where's the, like, I want, I want to do good. I want to be part of the mission. I want to change. I want to write whatever your capacity yeah. is or whatever leader is. Okay. Well, let's say, I would say ready. Mm-hmm. ready but not yet able that's good now you've talked a little bit about habits um disciplines uh, mm. maybe this is a hard question to, to ask but i'm gonna ask it anyways is bring it you, on <laughs> would you say there's some um not, not to get too granular but i mean are there baseline what you what i would call like habits or disciplines that you'd want to put into your life uh, as, as far as growth, learning, um, whether that's individually or as a community or corporation or business or, or what have you, is that that question makes sense? Like, like what would be some? It does, and it's of- really interesting because it's it's almost um, a, a meta question for me, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> because uh, because Learn.net specializes in in um, creating habits or, or really reinforcing habits. So uh, when we look at the most critical habits, we think uh, firstly, do people already know and they're just not performing? 
right? And so what do we need to reinforce? So my question would be, do people know what they need to do in order to, you know, create a learning environment or for themselves or their teams or organizations? Um, and it's merely just keeping it top of mind. Or is it that um, bringing those things to the forefront and saying, this is what I need to be paying attention to in order to be a habitual learner? I do think a few of those things are important. Uh, off the top of my head, I would say um, certainly it's the ability to be gracious with yourself about errors or mistakes, right? Be willing to make mistakes. I also think that... Um, you need to have both an inside out and outside in view of things. So you could say this was the intention, but you also need to, if you're you're trying to always learn, you then have to step away from it and say, what, what was the learning moment here, right? Um, I also think that there's something around what exactly is learning. Um, I'm a, a fan of um, really separating out the, the different types of learning, which you heard me describe some of them, which is, um, is it really understanding, was that a skill? Is it a behavior? Is it an attitude? Um, is, is it a, a higher level function like discernment or synthesis? And then, you know, not beating yourself up about, hey, it was discernment related and I wish I had better discernment. Well, that's something that I can, uh, you know, build. So, so to me, it's that's a little bit outside in too, right? Is to to almost look at your experience and your growth in a way that is learning oriented. That's good. I I, I really appreciate the the book you're you've written and and the work you're doing because I, I think you're you're hitting on those kind of learning isn't just here's the information, get the information in your head, all will be good. It's it's breaking it down more granularly to see like yeah, there are motivations at, at play. There's, you know, things underneath that we need to deal with, right? There's, um, this, cause if that was the case, right, you just write a book and then just hand it to someone and say, if you read this, you'll, you'll figure out how everything works. Done. done Absolutely. Right. right. <laughs> uh, but, but actually, yeah, doing the hard work of, um, the whole person and the organization and, and all those things. Um, but I think that's the, that's, isn't that the challenge? Cause I think that we're, we're inherently lazy. We, we don't want to do that work because it's painful or it's, extra time and and it's just easier just to kind of go do things the way they are and just kind of skate along and right it's like you don't want it could be scary too scary, right, right? I, I don't want to um i don't want to put myself in a situation you know when you're confident this is one of the most important resistors to changing a person or an organization is i'm comfortable where i am in order for me to learn i have to put myself outside of my comfort zone right um yeah, nobody wants to be exposed. <laughs> nobody wants to yeah. admit, admit they're weak or they need help or they yeah need correction or what what it may be. Um, well, uh, Stephanie, this has been fantastic, and I do have to ask you. Um, you know, like any author, a leader, uh, you're obviously doing some great work in the world. Um, you always have great stories. Everyone does. Um, but can you give us like a real living example of? some of the work you've been doing, whether it's with an individual or whether with an organization, have you said, here, here's where I saw some really beautiful transformation uh, with this person, with this organization, they went from here to here. G give us a little taste of that. Sure. Uh, my favorite one is from the book. Is that okay? Yeah, no, it's fine. Sure. So um, one of my favorites was an organization where is a real tough environment uh, for the company. 
It's a warehouse in a town that didn't have a lot to its name, but a few of those things it did have to its name was some winning numbers, top murder rate, top single parent rate, top illiteracy rate. These are the top of the list that you don't want to be. And so you can imagine it's tough to get qualified staff there, but it's also tough to get a good job in that town. So the leaders that came into this organization said, I want to keep this warehouse in this town. I want to build it up. I want us to perform well. But in fact, they were struggling. The The managers um, couldn't get the teams to do things any new ways. They would always go back to their old ways whenever no one was looking. People didn't really understand why. Um, but in order to keep, you know, in a larger, larger organization, in order to keep this warehouse in this town, they were going to have to produce like at least three times as much. And the organization was going through, growing three times. So that we're getting into 10x ta- territory here. So they figured, let's implement some new systems. Well, we also had a group of people who didn't know how to use technology either. So when um, when they really looked at the learning program, it included certainly hands-on experiences. People were scared and resistant to using tech. So we got them some support and having them try it. And we even motivated them by saying, look, you're going to get to use computers. It's going to help your your family and your career because now you'll be computer a computer user. Um, and we dug deeper and looked at the motivations of the people of why are we not actually willing to do things differently? Um, And part of it was, we've always done it this way, right? That's pretty normal. But part of it was also really just what I would call systems thinking, but not understanding the whole picture of the organization and why we needed to do things differently. So uh, what we ended up doing was implementing a game in addition to the hands-on training. And the game simulated the whole warehouse. And I don't know how much time you spend in a warehouse, Ryan, but it's a little loud. Not a lot. Um, It's loud. It's confusing. Things go in a lot of different directions. And if you you haven't walked a lot of warehouses, you might not know that there's actually a real flow to it. Things come in one side and they get sorted and put away and, um, and then they get picked and packed and shipped out. And I say that simply, but there's a lot of different kinds of things. There's big things and small things and heavy things and things that come in cases versus eaches and all this sorts of thing, right? So, you know, it gets pretty complex. Understanding that system was one thing, but then also understanding that if I come in in the morning and I'm in receiving and I unload something and it's not the thing that they need in shipping and they can't ship by the end of the day, then it's not just that I get to go to the game. It's that they don't get to go to the game tonight. And by the way, the game's the only thing going on in this town and we all want to go to the game. So if, in fact, I understand the people in shipping need some stuff by priority. And by the way, I understand it's got to go through all these steps in order to get there. And since we played the game together, it's actually my buddy Joe who's on the shipping line. And we've had some laughs about safety issues in the warehouse or people calling in sick. 
because it's the day of the game and they don't want to be in shipping and they actually want to go to the game that night. So then we become one team. And that was something that the leaders had diagnosed and realized that we actually need to be one team. It's not just about putting more speed or more tech onto the existing system or the existing culture. We need to change the culture so that we all are working together to the same goal, seal trucks, get them out, you know, celebrate, and then we can all go to the game. So to me, what was wonderful about that was that it's not just about a warehouse or the technology or even, by the way, the communication and behavioral skills they built by interacting with this game. It also really raised the the capacity of the people in that environment. And they took those management skills and leadership skills and communication skills back to their families back to their community, back to their social organizations. Uh, and they were really proud of it. They, they took their certificates from completing their whole curriculum, signed by the head of the distribution center, home to their families who were congratulating them for completing a training program. And eventually, because they were able to produce so much more and do online orders as well and e-commerce and such and and, and produce and, and support a lot more stores that also meant more jobs, it also meant more for the community, they ended up bringing in healthcare into that community that previously you couldn't get for another, you know, 30 miles or so. So an, an additional, you know, economic growth happened because of it. So these things are real. Right. We talk about, hey, I want new skills. I want to grow my career. But, uh, you know, in order to really shift an organization's capacity, you can change the course of people's lives and of communities. And that's one of my favorites. Yeah, that's definitely that's a perfect story. I think you, know, you started our, our conversation with leaderships about people. And right there, you see, yeah, the impact is it's a whole community that's impacted. It's individuals, it's families, it's community, it's it's you know, the, the health of the people, it's the, you know, mental health, the, the, you know, being able to have fun together, doing all, I mean, all those things, right. They all work together. And I, I think that's good for, for people that are listening to hear that is that, that the, this kind of work or, or thinking about learning and growing, isn't just about me and my advancement or my growth, but it's the impact it has beyond me and into my family, into my community, into my own work, you know, whatever I'm called to do. Um, so I really appreciate you sharing that story. That's a fantastic story. Um, I know this is a, it's a tricky question to, to end with, cause just, you know, you've written a book and you got a lot going on, but it's, I always like to ask what's next. What are you working on? Um, any, anything else going on, um, uh, that's in the hopper? There actually is, you must be prescient. Um, what we are finding at learn.net is that our understanding of habits is unbelievably revolutionary to a lot of folks, both in the learning field and as leaders, that they're just not realizing that, in fact, the difference of performance in a given skill behavior process, what have you, is in this habituation piece. So we're spending a lot of time talking about challenge-based learning, um, you know, the, how distracted people are, um, how it's difficult for them to pay attention, um, particularly in a learning environment. And so uh, so we're, we're working on a book now, I'm working on a book now on how habits fit in to that overall learning story. 
Well, great. So when that book comes out, you come back on and we'll talk about it. Um, where is the best place people can find you, connect with you, uh, get your book, all that good stuff. Sure. Uh, they can find me at 10 xleadernet or on LinkedIn with learn.net. Perfect. Well, Stephanie, this has been a fantastic conversation. Um, I love having people on the show like yourself who are really impacting the world and impacting lives, uh, doing good work in the world. So thank you for sharing your wisdom. And I know you helped a lot of people today. So thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Well, there you have it, my friend, Stephanie Crow. Go check out all her work at learn.net. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for coming on the show. Thank you for paying attention to learning, paying attention to how we can grow deeper as leaders and whatever we're called to, whatever our area of leadership is, wherever our area of influence is. Uh, we, we don't need to stay where we are. We need to continue to, to grow and push and, um, and, and not be satisfied with just being okay and just being where we're at. But there's always room to grow. And, and so thank you for the work that you're doing, Stephanie. Um, go check out all her stuff. It's in the, in the show notes. And, uh, and hopefully you can benefit from her work in the world. Uh, hey, a uh, couple things. One, thanks for supporting the show. Continue to share the show with others. Word of mouth still works. So uh, let people know if you enjoyed the show. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, leave a rating and review. That also helps get this show out in the world. It's the podcast in front of more people. And a couple things you can do with that just to stay in the loop is you can sign up for the newsletter and uh, on the on the Substack, and we'll give you all the updates when the when new shows come out. And also, I uh, every week share seven things I'm paying attention to. So. Uh, creative things, things I'm using, software, books, TV shows, recommendations, quotes, things that are inspiring me, and hopefully they'll inspire you too. Uh, that's really the goal is, hey, here's the things I've paid attention to this week. Here's the things I've enjoyed. Here's the things I've encountered. Maybe I can share those with you, and maybe you'll find some inspiration in, in a unique unique way. It's not to be the same way I experience them, but it's to, to take it where you need to take it. So check that on out get on the newsletter. I love to, for you to be part of the community. And then also I just want to mention again, if you heard my little blurb about book coaching, if you're writing a book, you have an idea for a book, uh, you're trying to figure out how to finish a book. Um, I have some book coaching services uh, on the show notes on my website. You can go to the coaching tab and uh, love to be your mentor, love to be your coach, love to help you uh, talk through that, work through that, give you a blueprint, how to get from beginning to end and, and even publishing and get it in front of people. Uh, if you're interested in anything like that, love to, to help you out there. So check that on out um, and love to connect up in any way that we can. Well, hey, everybody, it's been great to be back with you this week. And before we go, I just have one important thing to say is go make some great art with your life. And I will talk to you real, real soon.